night, and uh, a lot of different ministries going on, whether it's youth or, or children's ministry in Awana or discipleship taking place. Uh, but there's a lot of people gathered in different places, and uh, Lord, I'm thankful that the Word of God is being taught and people are listening and learning, and uh, there's an opportunity for spiritual growth to happen. As we come together now in the auditorium, Lord, we just need something that will help us uh, today and uh, help us in our faith, help us in our walk with you. And uh, Lord, as I've spent time praying and speaking to you today, I'm asking you, Lord, for your help in this, in this lesson tonight and that you will use me in a very God-sized way to draw your people into yourself. Lord, I pray that there's an increase in our faith tonight. We'll give you the praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me in Genesis chapter 5, and uh, we'll look in verse number 21 <clears throat> to start with tonight. And uh, you'll see there a very interesting individual in our history, and uh, biblical history. And his name is Enoch. And uh, he's mentioned there beginning in verse 21. There's not a whole lot uh, that is said about him in the book of Genesis. There's some more things said about him in Hebrews and and uh, we're going to look at those two things tonight. But in verse 21, the Bible says that Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. <coughs> and, uh, of course, Methuselah, just for trivia knowledge, is the oldest man recorded biblically who ever lived. And uh, uh, Enoch would be the great-grandfather of one that we often read about and preach about, and that's Noah. But Enoch, in verse 22, walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Of course, in those days, they lived much longer than we do now. But in verse 24, the Bible says this about Enoch. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. You know, you can recognize a man by the way that he walks. You know, uh, a confident man or a confident young man, I should say. He likes to walk in the room and he's got a, he's got a strut about him, right? He's got this strut. And you look at him and you, and you immediately think that guy is pretty sure of himself, all right? You might think other things too, all right? Now, if you knew Jordan in the old days, Jordan would walk in here like this right here, you know. That, that would be Jordan's walk, his head cocked sideways, his hat cocked sideways. And, and so you look at a person like that. If you look at someone and their, and their shoulders are kind of down, their head's down, where they're pretty, you, you're going to think they're kind of a bashful individual, maybe not so sure of themselves. You know, my walk is when I walked into a room, I would find the closest seat to the door I just come in because I just didn't want to be seen. I was kind of shy. And, and so when you, when you, just by looking at an individual, you get an impression. Something stands out to you. Now, last week we looked at uh, Psalm 3, and we looked at David writing uh, that particular song when he was going through his ordeal with Absalom. And you get to 2 Samuel 18. I told you you had to read on in 2 Samuel 18 to find out what happened the rest of the story. Did anybody do that? So you read 2 Samuel 18 and what happens 
is Absalom is killed by Joab. And Joab <coughs> is sending news to David uh, of what happened to Absalom. And he chooses to send a young man by the name of Cushai. And uh, so Cushai gets his tidings together and he takes off and he goes running to David. But there's another guy by the name of Ahimaaz. And Ahimaaz, he, he wanted to go as well. And, and Joab questioned him, do you even have t your tidings ready? And he says, just let me go. I, I got a message. I got, I got something to say. And so he, he started after Cushai. And uh, although, although Ahimaaz got the later start, he was so fast that he outrun Cushai and he passed him. And in 2 Samuel 18 and verse 27, the Bible says that David's watchman went up on the wall and he, he saw, he could see the two men coming quickly. He could tell they were both running. And even from that distance, he couldn't see, he couldn't see his face. But in 2 Samuel 18, verse 27, he said this to the king, Methinketh the running of the foremost is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, well, he is a good man. He, he cometh with good tidings. He could tell just by the way he ran who he was. He said, I'm, I'm pretty confident that that's Ahimaaz. And so a lot, a lot can be said. I mean, even, even when the lights are out, you can kind of see the impression of an individual and, and, and kind of decide who they are, determine who they are or something about their character that stands out to you. But one thing is for sure is this. Walking is a voluntary act. Okay? Carrying's complete opposite. All right? I, 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 may, I may decide against Donald's will to pick him up and carry him to that side of the, of the auditorium and say, I don't want you sitting in that chair. I want you to sit over there. And that can be completely against his will. But for him to actually get up and walk over there, he has to make that decision. Everybody understand that? So it is a how we walk, where we're going, how we're going is something that is voluntary and we choose how we're going to walk. We're going to choose where we're going to walk. And that's all dependent upon us. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 said this about us when we are lost. It says this about every lost individual. He says, and you, talking about us who are lost without Christ, hath he quickened. Meaning he made us alive. When we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were spiritually dead, but in Christ we're made alive. We'll look at that in Colossians in just a second. But he goes on in verse 2. He says, Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh, and the children of disobedience. So in other words, the walk of a lost man looks like the, the walk of every other lost man in the world, okay? They, they walk according to the lusts of their flesh. They, they're, they're, it's the course of this world. And so you can put them in a group, and they'll all uh, kind of walk alike. They wanted, they're going the same direction. They're doing something that is contrary to God, okay? Their walk is contrary to Christ. And so if, if, if the Lord is that way, they're going the opposite direction. Before the Apostle Paul got saved, 
okay? The Bible says that he wreaked havoc amongst the believers. And he did everything that was contrary to Christ, okay? So if, if Christianity was taking place there, he wanted to either destroy it or draw people away from it, okay? So that was his personal walk. And every unbeliever is walking away from God, away from Christ. They may be doing different things, but they're walking away from the Lord. Turn your Bible to Colossians chapter number 2. Because I want us to see that our walk should look differently after we've come to know God through Christ. And in Colossians chapter 2 in your New Testament, Paul wrote these words to the believers there in verse number 6. He says, As you therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So every, if every lost person is walking away from Christ, okay, if every, walk, if every lost person is walking away from Christ, Steve, I shouldn't be walking with them. You follow me? That's, that's where repentance takes place. And I realize, listen, I'm going the wrong way, and I'm with the wrong crowd. And I need to be over there. I need to be with that crowd. I need to be where Jesus is. And therefore, my walk changes. And now, I'm walking with Christ. I'm walking with other Christians and we're all walking toward the Lord, okay? That is our goal. We want to be more like Jesus. And so that is, that is now my walk. And there are too many people who claim to be believers, and they're with this crowd here. They, they, may, they may outwardly say, well, I don't, I, I'm a Christian. I, I believe I'm going to heaven. But they're too involved with this group who is, who is going away from the Lord, leading people away from the Lord. And if they're leading people away from the Lord, you know where we're leading them, Caleb? We're leading them away from the Lord, okay? So as a believer, I need to be walking in Christ because of my faith in Christ. And as a result, I'm trying to get other people to walk with me, Brandon. I'm trying to get others to walk with me and not go in that particular direction. Now, a lost man walks after the lust of his flesh... He walks after the lust of his eyes. He walks after the pride of his life. And a man in Christ looks at things differently. Okay? We look at things differently because we're trying to see things the way God sees them. Right here. Okay? Our friends can look at things this way. You can get on the news and they can say, this is the way everything looks. Uh, you, you can sit in a classroom and they say, this is the way everything looks. But a saved man looks at everything through this right here. Because we want to see things the way that God sees them. And if we're doing that, then we look at everything differently. And if I'm looking at things the way God sees them, it's going to affect my walk. And therefore, my walk should look differently. Now, Enoch lived in a world that was going completely away from God. All right, by the time his great-grandson Noah is around, God says, I'm ready to destroy the earth. I'm going to destroy everything except for Noah and his wife and his children and, and one of each kind of animal. And they got into the ark and they were preserved. They, they made it through God's wrath and judgment upon the world. Okay, That is the world that Enoch lived in. And so his walk looked drastically different 
than everyone else's, which made him, of course, stand out that much more. Now, the Bible says that he walked with God. We just read that in Genesis chapter 5. He walked with God, all right? And so his, his walk is completely different. One day he was, and then one day he was not. Now, what happened to him? Well, look in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and mark your place here, because this is, this is the main body of our text. Hebrews 11, verse 5 and 6. So, what happened to him? One day he was, and then one day he wasn't. He walked with God, he was, and he wasn't. Well, Hebrews 11, verse 5, is the great faith chapter in Hebrews 11. And this is what the Bible has to say about Enoch in verse 5. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now let's add verse 6 to this because they're connected. But without faith it is impossible to please him, meaning God. It's impossible to please God without faith. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, <coughs> and that he is a rewarder, of them that diligently seek him. So Enoch's walk was a voluntary walk that was conducted in such a way that it pleased God. All right? And God, Alan, God recognized Enoch by his walk. All right? We recognize people by their walk. You can kind of mimic different people. All right? When God looked at Enoch, he recognized him by his walk of faith, all right? And his walk was in such a way that it pleased the Lord. So let's break that down tonight. He pleased God in verse 5, all right? The end of verse 5 says simply that he pleased God. Imagine that on a tombstone. I think that says plenty, don't you? Well, what are you going to put on the tombstone? He pleased God. That says I mean, that says volumes right there, all right? And the thing is, is this. Enoch didn't say that. The Holy Spirit inspired the writer of the book of Hebrews to write that about Enoch. And it's simply that he pleased the Lord. Have you ever stopped and considered some of the things that please the Lord? I mean, what really pleases God? Well, look in your Bible and hold your place here, Hebrews 11. Look, look in Isaiah chapter 53. What, what really pleases God? If my life is going to please the Lord, what does that look like? Because I'd like for God to say that about me, Donna. You know, I'd like for God to say, that, that young man, he pleases me. That's my son. He pleases me. All right? So, Isaiah 53, look in verse number 10. This is a prophetic chapter concerning the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And notice what it says in verse number 10. What does it say? But it what? It pleased the Lord. You see that? Isaiah 53, verse number 10. Yet it pleased the Lord, speaking of Christ, to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, in verse 11, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant 
justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. Remember, there was one on his right and one on his left. And he, he bare the sin of many, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So, so Thomas, what pleases the Lord? Calvary pleases the Lord. Okay? It pleased the Lord that his son would die on the cross for the sins of the world. All right? So that's pleasing unto God. Well, go back in your New Testament. All right? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Read with me in verse 21. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 in your New Testament. What else pleases God? <coughs> he says, Paul writes, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. What does that mean? It meant the world was too smart for God. Okay? They, 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 they come to the conclusion they couldn't believe him. Well, how do you come to God? How do you come to relationship in God? Well, he says at the end of the verse, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. All right? So the world says it's foolish. People think it's foolish. The foolishness of preaching. But it's the, foolish, it's the preaching of the gospel of the Jesus Christ, Doc, that people get saved. Right? And that is God's method for reaching the world for salvation. It is, it is individuals who care enough, one, to be obedient to the Lord, two, about the souls of others, that they go and deliver the gospel to others. All right? So you really want to be pleasing to God? Be someone who has a heart to deliver the gospel to other people. All right? Some may think you're foolish. People may call you names. People may look at you funny. But I'm telling you, Amos, you tell people about Jesus Christ. You tell them that he died on the cross for their sins, that he was buried and he rose again on the third day, so that if they believe in him, they may have eternal life and spend in heaven for eternity with him. That is pleasing unto the Lord. Okay? That's how we please the Lord. Look in, um, go to, go back to your, um, go back to the Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. What, what pleases the Lord? All right, after David died, Solomon is on the throne. Okay? Solomon has a dream here in 1 Kings chapter 3. <clears throat> and the Lord appears to him and he speaks to him. I want you to look with me in verse 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give thee. So imagine. Imagine the Lord coming to you and said, what is it that you want me to do for you? What can I do for you? That's a big, that's a big ask, isn't it? What, what is it you want me to do for you? I'm going to tell you something right now. He offers that to us in prayer, right? We ask anything in his name. Okay? Look at Solomon's answer in verse 9. Give therefore thy servant 
an understanding heart to judge thy people. That I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord. Meaning, meaning Solomon's request. He could, whatever God is saying, ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon's request is give me an understanding heart to judge thy people. Give me the wisdom that I need to lead your people, to discern between good and bad. And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing in verse 11. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing and hast not asked for thyself long life. Some people may say that. Well, let me live a long time. He didn't ask for that. He says, neither did you ask that riches for thyself. Didn't ask for more money. Nor did he ask the life of thine enemies. One time I prayed to the Lord for more money. I needed more income. And I was paying bills one night, and the Lord said, if you sold that right there, you'd have more income. Yeah, that was a day with God, I'm telling you, right? Yeah. So, he says, nor ask the life of thine enemies. Give me, give me the life of my enemies. He says, you didn't ask for anything, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold... I have done according to thy words, lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. God gave him above and beyond what he asked for. Okay? And he offers the same promise to us. Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. God can do more than we ask. But his selflessness was so pleasing to the Lord that God gave him his request. And we know him as the wisest to have lived, with the exception of Christ. Look in Psalm chapter 51. <coughs> Psalm 51. David, David writes this psalm after his grievous sin of adultery with Bathsheba, okay? And so he is in a difficult place. Um, he, he, he thought that sin was hidden and covered, but the Lord used the Nathan to speak to him. And he is, he is crying out to God in this chapter. He, he begins, have mercy upon me, O God. We ask for God's mercy when we're in a mess, Right? That's when we ask for God's mercy. But we don't ask for God's mercy whenever, when we're doing right. We, we ask for mercy when we need it. And he says in verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. He says in verse 4, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. So we see him really... In a, in a difficult situation, he, he has sinned, he knows it, he is pouring his heart out to God, he's begging for mercy and forgiveness. He asks the Lord in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's amazing what we can do that it can take away our joy. 
our joy can go right out the window. Everything can be great today. And I'm telling you, before the night goes down, before we lay our head down tonight, all of our joy can be gone from one, from one terrible decision we have made. Look in verse 16. He says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. For thou delightest not in burnt offering. Well, the Lord requires those things. So why, why does he say that? He says the sacrifices of a of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure and design. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then shall they offer bullocks upon that altar. This is what he's saying. You can bring all the offerings you want to. But God is not pleased with it if your heart's not right with God. So Randall, you can do all of the good things that you want, and everybody sees that, and they say, wow, look at Randall, look what he is doing. But God will never be pleased with it unless your heart is right with him before them. God required them to bring the sacrifices. But he wasn't interested in the sacrifice as much as he was interested in the heart. Of the individual, okay? So if you want to be pleasing unto God, have a right heart. Now, is my microphone working? It is working, okay. I'm going to the doctor tomorrow, so pray that I get fixed up, okay? I felt like my microphone went out. All right, so go back to Hebrews 13. <coughs> Hebrews 13, look with me in verse 15. A grateful spirit pleases God. All right? A grateful spirit. Hebrews 13, verse 15 and 16 says this. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. All right? So, a gratefulness giving thanks, an attitude that we're appreciative of all that God is doing in our life, that is well-pleasing unto God. You want to, I, I tell you how God's not pleased with us when we're griping, when we're grumbling, when we're murmuring, when we're complaining, when we're unthankful, when we're ungrateful. When we have that kind of spirit, God is not pleased with us at that time. Enoch had a walk with God that he did what? He pleased the Lord. All right? If we want to have that, we need to have these same attributes. Now, Hebrews 11, verse 5, back to our text. He knew how to please God. <coughs> okay, so he was a man who pleased God. He knew how to please God. Because it says in verse 5, he had this testimony. All right? So... People, other people around him recognize that there was a difference about Enoch. Not only did God know it, but other people recognized it. That was his personal testimony. He was a man who pleased the Lord. When we, uh, when we think of the Apostle Paul, go ahead and turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians 1. I want you to see this verse. When we think of the Apostle Paul, I, I think of a man of 
complexity. Okay? I, I think of a man, when I think of everything that he accomplished in his Christian life, all of the churches that were planted, all of the people that got saved, all of the different scenarios that he found himself in, and his testimony. I mean, could you imagine, Steve? I mean, he, he delivered his testimony in Acts 26 and other places in Acts, but he just scratched the surface. I mean, it is amazing all that Paul did. And then you think of the fact that God used him. He's the human instrument to write much of our New Testament. You think of how complex of an individual that Paul had to have been. But look in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12. Look how, he, it, look how he describes himself. He says, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you. His testimony, he describes, is a simple, godly, sincere testimony of God's grace. We don't have to be, Lisa, we don't have to be complex individuals. We are nothing apart from the grace of God. Okay? And it doesn't matter what all we go out and accomplish in the name of Christ. All of those things go back to the glory of God. None of us should glory in our flesh. None of us should glory in anything other than Christ. And so he just regarded himself as a very simple individual. One who trusted the Lord. And one who was very sincere in his relationship with God. And everything that was accomplished was accomplished in Christ. Have you ever noticed... That when God sums up a man's life, he doesn't waste words. <clears throat> I mean, sometimes a man's life is summed up by a simple description. All right? How do you describe Enoch's life is summed up as what? He did what? Please God, right? That's, that sums up his life. All right? When you think of David, who was David? What's one thing that sums up the life of David? I can't hear you. Giant slayer, I think somebody, he was a man after God's own heart, wasn't he? He was a man after God's, that's how, that's how the Lord described him. He's a man after God's own heart. Everything that he did summed up as that. When the Lord, when the Lord sent Samuel to choose the Lord's king, Samuel looked on the appearance of a, his oldest brother alive and said, this has got to be him. And the Lord says, you're looking at the outward appearance, I look on the heart. His king was someone nobody would have ever chose. But he was a man after God's own heart. The kings of Israel, when you read 1 and 2 Kings, and you read 1 and 2 Chronicles, every king was remembered for one or two things. One of two things. What were they? He either did right in the eyes of the Lord, or he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Right? Everything that he did, that's the only thing that mattered about him. He either did right, or he did evil. The Lord doesn't waste words. You get, you're in Hebrews 11, and uh, sometimes the Lord sums up different milestones in our life. In uh, verses 24 and 25 of Hebrews 11, <coughs> it says, By faith Moses, 
He chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised in the Pharaoh's house, but he chose to go back to the Lord's people. That, he did that by faith. In verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt. That was another event in his life. In verse 28, it says, through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. And then in verse 29, by faith he led the Israelites through the Red Sea. So it makes me think of this. It makes me think, how would God in one sentence describe my life? Okay? And two, how would, what events would the Lord pull out of my life that he would highlight worth that's noteworthy because those things were done by faith. I've got a lot of highlights, right? i got a lot of things that I think this was important. These are good memories. But what would God, what would God record? What would he pull out of my life and said, this, this right here is worth remembering because you chose to do it by faith? It was me or nothing. It was God or nothing. Right? Now consider that. When we want to look at our life and we want to consider what is our life worth? What, what is really noteworthy about our life? Consider those thoughts more than we consider what we think. Hudson Taylor said, All of God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on His being with them. That is one of my favorite all-time quotes. He was a great missionary in China, and uh, one day he was asked to speak at a large church in Melbourne, Australia. And when the pastor stood up to introduce their noted speaker, he went on and he began to tell the audience everything not everything, but he highlighted some major things that Hudson Taylor did that he felt was noteworthy. And so he got to the end and he says, please welcome to the pulpit our illustrious guest, Hudson Taylor. Everybody gave a big applause and Hudson Taylor came to the pulpit and he stood there very quietly and then after a moment, he said these words. He says, dear friends, I am simply the little servant of an illustrious master. All God's giants, they're just weak men. But they were able to do great things for God because they believed God would be with them. God would do something. Look there in verse 6 of our text, Hebrews 11. He knew how to keep pleasing God. I need to wrap up here. He knew how to keep pleasing. How do, how do we keep pleasing God? Well, verse 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please Him, right? How, am, I, am I pleasing God? I'm not pleasing to God without faith. All right? That's the key thing. How are we saved? For by wages is sin, for the wages of sin is death, but what? The gift of God is what? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. For by grace are ye saved through faith, right? 
So we can't get to God without going through faith. Through faith in the cross. Through faith in the gospel. You can't get to God without going through faith. But then the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. Right? So, so I become a child of God through faith. But I'm pleasing to God by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And, and, and how is that possible? Look at verse 6. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. All right? That's the only way. If you don't believe God is, you're never going to get to him. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So as I am seeking the Lord, I am, I am stepping out and I'm going to go forward by faith and I'm just going to believe God is going to come through. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I am, I am, I'm going to step out here and I'm going to fall or he's going to help me. Okay? And I'm going, he's, and I'm doing that not blindly because I'm believing he's leading me to it. All right? And I might not have all the answers, but he's leading me to it. And by faith, I'm going to follow through that door. I'm going to follow how he's leading me. Because of this, I just believe he can provide the results that he wants to provide. All right? And, and Enoch knew that. That's how he, he kept pleasing God because he, kept, he, he trusted the Lord. All right? A prayerless life is not a faith life. And so get this. Get this, gentlemen. All right? Very important. Our prayer life is as, mu- is as, is as important as our devotional life. Okay, because our, our prayer life, the word of God shows us where God wants to lead us. Our prayer life submits our will to his. And therefore, we're, we're getting in line with him. And so a prayerless life, a person that doesn't spend time praying and seeking God, does not live a faith life. Lastly, he found the results of pleasing God. Okay. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. His entire life is summed up in that he had a walk that pleased the Lord. He not only believed that God is, but that God is also a reward of them that diligently seek him. So one day the Lord just decided to translate Enoch to heaven. Say, you mean he died? No, Enoch didn't die. Look in Colossians chapter 12. I want you to see this here. Colossians chapter 12. And uh, we'll stop right here. Colossians 12. uh, I'm sorry, Colossians 12. Colossians 3 verse 12. (coughs) Paul says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. That's when we were lost in our sin and a dark path on the way to hell. But he delivered us. And when he delivered us, he hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He took us out of that and he put us in his kingdom. You go to, uh, I I said we're going to stop there. Um... Go one book over. Colossians, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
Enoch's translation became a picture of what the Lord will one day do with those in Christ on the day of the rapture of the church. He says, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that's, that's the only way you get to heaven, even so them which also sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. How about that? For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. But I sure would like to be a part of verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. One day we'll be translated to be with him, Carrie. Amen. We're translated out of, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's Son. And one day we'll be translated out of here and spend eternity in heaven. Live a life that pleases the Lord. We'll close with this, this thought. <coughs> How would God sum up your life, Cody? Live in light of that. Not what we would say, not what Steve would say, not what I would say. What would God say? And let us consider what does God see as highlights in our life? They'll always be marked by what we did by faith. Father, bless your word tonight. Thank you for it. Thank you for the truths and the promises of it. Help us, Lord, to learn from the example of Enoch. Lord, what an example he is. He did not live in an easy society. He did not live in, in a sinless culture. He lived in a very dark and wicked time. That was growing darkness every, darker every day. Help us, Lord, to learn some things that in our life we can be pleasing to you. Help us to be selfless. Help us to be grateful. Help us, Lord, to be consumed with you. Help us to be individuals who deliver the gospel so that it pleases you. Help us, Lord, to walk in the light of eternity. And may you be pleased with us in Jesus' name. Amen.